0: Hi there. Welcome to my podcast. This is David Leibovitz, and we're here in my apartment in Paris with a good friend of mine. Before we get to talking to her, I just want to say welcome to all of you who are joining in. If you'd like to visit my newsletter, which has a link to this podcast and additional material, it's at davidleibovitz.substack.com. That's my name, David Leibovitz, with substack.com afterwards. And my newsletter is free if you'd like to subscribe. And there's a paid version if you'd like extras. But you don't have to get the paid version. But if you want the extras, you do. <laughs> so I'm here yeah. with Jennifer McLaughlin. Magla- is that right? <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, no. <laughs> Jennifer McLagan. McLagan? Yes. Okay. But it's spelled, we're going to spend an hour talking about your name. Yes. It's M C L A G A N. Yeah. McLagan. Okay.
1: Why would it not be McLagan? Where
0: is the eight? Can I buy a consonant?
1: Well, actually, I think the story went when I was a kid that the name was actually longer, like M-A-C-L-A-G-H-A-N. Okay. And my grandfather was kind of lazy, so he okay. just cut some letters out. Okay. And the only famous person we came close to was Victor McLaglen, So it could <laughs> be it doesn't. Just call me Jennifer. I'm as famous as Cher. So just well, like- I
0: like calling you Jennifer because yeah. that's how I know you. But you also have a website.
1: Yes, I do. JenniferMcLagan.com.
0: Yeah, and that's spelled Jennifer, M-C-L-A-G-A-N. And you're also found on Instagram at Jennifer M-C-L-A-G-A-N. Yes. But even better, you can buy your books and have your name right in front of us. That's right. I have to say I was introduced to you because it was the early 2000s and I was having an issue with a publisher about a cover of one of my books and I didn't love the cover they had decided. And you had written a book called Fat, and it had the most amazing cover, probably the best, probably top 10, top five cookbook covers of all time. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's a cover. And I kept showing it to people. And you're very interesting because you've written four books or five. Five. Considering the new booklet. Booklet, loved. yes. I was recently interviewing somebody the other day, and I was thinking of the same thing, like, you're writing about very daring topics and in some ways unpopular. Yes. And I know the only reason I'm saying that to you is because you will freely admit it's not, it's not considered an insult. No. It's actually a compliment. Yes. And uh, your subtitles are amazing. Do you write your subtitle?
1: Uh, most of the time, well, I'm pretty close to that, right? Because I think what happened when I started writing books, I came from the advertising world, right? From mm-hmm. doing food, styling, and magazines. And I I really think the cover of a book is really important. Yes. You don't want to see me. That's not going to sell the book because I'm not on TV. You want something that people go, what the is that? And they look at it. Mm -hmm. And I fought for my first book. I didn't win. I had this beautiful still life of bones and the editor just wouldn't go anywhere. But when I changed publishers, 10 speed are a lot more. Avant-garde and they went with, you know, that fat is fat right in your face. So people see mm-hmm. it, you know. And then you need a subtitle, but one word titles I like to bones fat.
0: Fat is great. And
1: oh, sub- it's one word. I tried to make odd bits one word. They wouldn't let me.
0: Well, the subtitle of fat is an appreciation of a misunderstood ingredient, comma, with recipe. Mm-hmm. And I just have to because I couldn't say this any better, but Kitchen Arts and Letters Bookstore, they wrote about you that you're no stranger to foods that excite a visceral reaction. Yes. And then on your website, Mother Jones <laughs> called you the most idiosyncratic and underrated cookbook author of our time.
1: Yes, and underpaid. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I, I disagree with that underrated because all of your books have won either James Beard Awards or IACP Awards, International Association of Culinary Professionals Awards. And those are hard to win.
1: That's true. And I think if I can just, you know, get the trumpet out and blow it for a little bit, which I don't normally do, it's very hard to win in a single subject. Single subject is the hardest category to win in, So I'm told mm-hmm. because there's a lot of entries and it's one of those things. And so I was pretty proud of that. And then Fat Line Cookbook of the Year, right?
0: So Well, it should, because it, it came out also. A lot of people maybe not remember this, but That was when nobody wanted to eat fat. No. Fat was banned. There was fat-free cookies, those snack wells. (laughs) I remember snack well.
1: And my agent agent said to me one time that she didn't think she'd be able to sell her. Everyone said, you mean, oh, fat-free, you know, Mm -hmm. fat less. No, I mean cooking with fat. So it took a long time for that to get sold as a book. And it was 10 Speed that would come on board with that.
0: Well, someday we'll have a debate about fat because people used to say to me, fat is flavor. And I'd say, well, you know, raspberries don't have any fat, nor does coffee or whiskey. And there's a lot of things that don't have fat that are flavorful. So fat isn't necessarily flavor. It's mm-hmm. a flavor.
1: No, but it's also a carrier of flavor. Mm-hmm. That's what it does best. It carries the flavor. So when you're cooking and you put fat in there, that carries the flavor. It emphasizes the flavor.
0: If you put cream in your coffee, just uh, we're going to debate about
1: <laughs> you and I. <laughs> no, but I, well, I think it makes your coffee and enriches your coffee. It, I don't know if it's a stronger flavor when you've got the fat in there, but it hangs around for longer because mm-hmm. the fat coats your tongue, you know, so it moves slowly across your tongue. So you have more time to taste it. Whereas if you're not back in espresso, it's so you're not yeah. getting that blink of flavor.
0: Ah, okay. We have a lot to talk about but today I want to focus on not your most recent book which is blood but that was a booklet that you wrote using a very misunderstood ingredient. Mm-hmm. And we're not really going to go there today no. because I was stunned when I got an example of your book Bitter and I had forgotten I wrote a blurb for the back of it and <laughs> I called the book important. I ended my quote it was a very long quote. I said this important book and it's, it is important because people don't understand bitter very well.
1: No, I think that's true. That's why I wanted to write it, because people think bitter is something to avoid. They want to get rid of bitterness. You're hearing about people salting things to get rid of the bitterness or adding sugar to tomatoes or, you know, like bitterness <laughs> is bad.
0: Jennifer just hit her head when she said sugar to tomatoes.
1: <laughs> you know, it's, it's good. It's important, bitter. It's important for lots of different reasons. Mm-hmm. important because... It is good for you. There's lots of really good things in in bitter herbs and foods that are good for your system. But also it's, if you take bitter out of a dish, you lose a dimension. Like the bitter helps balance everything. You can't hide bitter. Yes, you can. It doesn't have to taste bitter. It just needs to be in there. If you've got fat or salt, that'll knock down the bitterness. But that little bit of bitterness just balances out, makes the flavor more complex, much more interesting.
0: Well, what you, you're speaking of amazing subtitles. The subtitle of Bitter, the book, is A Taste of the World's Most Dangerous Flavor.
1: With the recipes. come on
0: with recipes? But it's true. I mean, one of the reasons, you know, we have noses is to prevent us from eating things that are going to harm us, allegedly.
1: Yes. And the reason we have taste buds on our tongue is to avoid things that are very bitter. So, you know, Bitterness, everyone knows about bitterness because it's an innate reaction to bitterness because a lot of poisons are bitter. So genetically, we're highly geared to like be sensitive to bitter. You know, you've got taste buds all over your tongue, but the taste buds have over 20 receptors just for bitterness. One for acid, one for sweetness. The thing is, there's not just bitter as a taste. There's bitterness. There's like Bitter rages from coffee to chocolate to arugula to a walnut. There's a range. It's not just one kind of bitterness. And so we all have that negative reaction. We all know the bitterness makes us go like that. Ah. And then we go, hmm, bitter, it's kind of making it more interesting, that coffee being a bit bitter or that chocolate being bitter. It's kind of more complex, more satisfying. So that's the importance of bitterness. We need to have it there.
0: It's funny because I was on a book tour once and I made a comment Hot-handed, And I said, <laughs> as I usually do. And I said, I don't really like sweet things. And everyone laughed. And then I was, I thought about it. And I said, well, I actually like coffee. I like dark chocolate. I like salt. I like fruit. Fruit is isn't necessarily sweet. No. Nope. Plums, apricots are very tart, especially when cooked. But before we talk about France and its relationship to bitter, you have a little test tube with you or something that looks like a test tube. And when I was doing my chocolate book, I was doing a lot of research into super tasters. Oh, yeah. About super yeah. tasters. Yeah. And they said, well, a lot of women are super tasters. They have or you have very sensitive palates. And they said it's actually sort of worrisome in some ways because women seem to be more sensitive to bitter than men. And I don't know if that's true or not. A lot of things that are bitter or good for you, like broccoli and kale and so forth.
1: Yeah, I guess broccoli is bitter to an extent. But I don't think that's true. You know, there's The world's divided into super tasters, non-tasters, and medium tasters, which is in the middle part. And that's what most chefs are. If you're a super taster, then you avoid bitter Mm -hmm. completely. There's a person I know in New York, and he put one of these strips in his mouth and he spat it out instantly. He couldn't control.
0: Uh Uh-oh. Okay.
1: But you can do it later on. But that's just one bit of flavor there. It's not all the different bitters. Okay. You want to try it? Yeah. I haven't done it for ages.
0: Okay. If I spit it out.
1: That's okay. It's your floor. Okay. You so you just put it in your mouth and hmm. don't eat it or anything. For how long? Until you have to get rid of it.
0: It's a, it's a little white strip of paper. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's fine.
1: Mm. Mildly bitter? No. Could have gone there by their expired. It tastes like paper. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that usually means you're a non-taster.
0: Okay. Oh, but I have a... Fairly good palate. Yeah, but
1: it just means that you don't taste this chemical. It doesn't mean that you don't taste bitterness. Okay. And this is, you know, like I really think supertastes and all that's kind of a waste of time. What's more important with with chefs and people who cook is probably your trigeminal nerve, right? The nerve's on the side of your tongue where you pick up pungency and astringency, Mm -hmm. hot and cold. And, you know, like you have a, a mint. In your mouth, it feels cold. It's not cold, but that's your trigeminal nerve that goes from uh, your tongue up into your brain. It's, that's what gives you an ice cream headache.
0: Okay, and your background is what? Because you're getting into science. No, well, I read... I do not know you were a food
1: stylist. I read a lot of science okay. in the book, right? My background is a uh, very useful degree in economics and politics. Mm-hmm. And then working in restaurants and for the American ambassador in London and right. uh, cooking... Around the world, and then deciding that standing in front of a stove is really too much hard work. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Unless they could prop you up like a Barbie or yeah, and then with a stand,
1: it doesn't pay that well. And then I started doing food styling, which pays a lot better. It's hard. It is hard. It's hard work. And then I got kind of sick of that because it gets boring. And I guess I get bored easily. It's a lot of sitting around the studio, waiting Uh, and uh, waiting, waiting. And and I like to do stuff. And then I thought I want to write a book. I might as well try. If it doesn't work, I can go into something else. And that started me down the rabbit hole.
0: And you are Australian? That's right. You live in Canada and you also have an apartment in Paris. That's right. And I I think that's how I met you because we both, I had a suplex, which is an apartment with a, its main floor with a basement or a cave or cave, as they would say in English. And you had the same thing. And I think it was Dory Greenspan.
1: That's right. Dory said, I need
0: to meet Jennifer.
1: That's right. I remember you came over to see my suplex.
0: Yeah, you? and we talked about humidity yeah. and things.
1: Yeah. <laughs> very, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> very Parisian things. Yeah. Humidity in your apartment. No. Yeah,
0: humidity, water, yeah. neighbors, and yeah. so forth. So, but you spend a lot of time in France. Yes, yeah. you've had your apartment for a number of years. And France has a very interesting relationship to bitter. People associate France with bakeries, patisseries. And people often say to me, oh, we love French baking because it's not so sweet. I'm like, have you had a queen de yeah, or or an escargot snail, a pastry snail with lots of syrup in it? But there's also a bitter side to France and not just.
1: (laughs) Not not just (laughs) in the people?
0: (laughs) I'm French. I consider myself. (laughs) I'm a little bitter, too. But,
1: But, you know, I think, David, even in the pastry stores, there's some bitterness because, you know, when the French bake things, Mm -hmm. they're happy to go. Much further than they would in North America, like burn the edges, caramelize it to that point where it's almost bitter. And that's what's perfect, right?
0: Well, we used to say when I worked as a baker in the U.S., when we burn something, we go, that's French. Mm. And it's a compliment, but a lot of people in America, they get freaked out if they see black spots. And they're like, that's burnt. And I just saw an article in in Eater, and it was saying, it was the title, like, stop burning our pizzas. And it was about pizzas being too cooked. And I actually like them yeah. really cooked when they're dark and caramelly and yeah. delicious. Yeah. I don't like gooey and soft.
1: And the baked.
0: Yeah, we're both making sour faces.
1: But it also that bitterness, it's not like the whole edge of the pizza or the whole edge of the pastry no. is black. There's just spots. And like I was saying, that adds something into the flavor of a yeah. thing as a whole. And making, that's why when you make, you know, I say to people, I don't like sweet, but I love caramel. But probably like you, I make a caramel where I take it off just before the sugar yeah. burns and it's got a bitterness to it and it, it makes it so much more interesting to eat.
0: See, I take it off just as the sugar starts to burn. Yeah. And when you and I were discussing beforehand, I made a list of things that were bitter in France and it was a shorter list and you sent me a longer list. And the one thing you said was good caramel and you wrote good caramel as opposed to bad. So I have some caramel here that I made and there's some spoons Oh, good. But I thought it would be interesting to taste it because you mentioned caramel being sweet or not.
1: Yes, but see, I put caramel in my book on bitterness because I think caramel is at its best when it has a bitter edge.
0: Mm-hmm. And this caramel is pretty dark. I made it dark. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm.
1: But see, it's sweet, but it's not that yeah. teeth-curling sweetness that you sometimes get with caramel things, right?
0: You get it at the end. To me, I get it at the end. It doesn't taste, but you don't go, oh, this is burnt.
1: No, but there's a... There's a depth of flavor right at the end, right? As it goes across yeah. your tongue.
0: That's it, also French butter. <laughs>
1: well, <Yeah. laughs> of course. But that's what's giving it that interest to eat. And it, it makes you want to have another spoonful. Yeah,
0: actually, I want to dip my... I, I want to double dip. You No, were no, very...
1: no double dipping. <laughs> um, but that's the thing, you know, like if that was super sweet, neither of us would want to have another taste of it. it would be like... Ugh.
0: Yeah, I want vanilla ice cream, chocolate ice cream.
1: With caramel? No, vanilla yeah. ice cream, I think.
0: Mm, okay. Mm. <laughs> I love caramel. I actually wanted to write a book on caramel once, and
1: no one wanted to do that as a subject.
0: Well, you know, single is you know, single subject. It's
1: hard because there's how much can you write about one thing, yeah. right?
0: And like, I wanted to write a book on Paris chocolate and French chocolate and everything. It's too small subject. I'm like, okay, I'll just keep it all to myself. But <laughs> so, speaking of chocolate, so some of the things I have in front of me, and I'm just gonna tell people what they are, and then we can kind of go through them. I've got some very dark chocolate. I've got some different kinds of French honey. I've got cooked apricots. I've got some blue cheese. I've got some French aperitifs. I've got some cocoa nibs. I've got Belgian endive. And I've got some apricot kernel oil, which nobody knows what to do with. And I made ice cream with it once. It was one of those recipes that nobody can make. <laughs> that's the good thing about the internet. You can put whatever you want on your website.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. But, you know, I think apricots are interesting because I say to people, I think they get bitterness when they get cooked. Yeah, I, the think, skin. I think the tannins come out in them and that's what makes them interesting. And that's what makes like, if you do a ta-ta-tan, but with yeah. apricots, you get that kind of tannin from yeah. the apricots, which is delicious with all that sugar and pastry.
0: And they get really tart and bitter. Not just tart, they get very tart. Plums, but I learned about plums from a pastry chef who mentored me, Lindsay Shear. She said, well, the flavors in the skins, how you cook them. And people have asked me over oh, there, should I peel plums? I was like, oh, no.
1: But even, <laughs> even the thought of peeling them would make me crazy.
0: I know. It'd be like, <laughs> nobody would eat them if you had to peel them. No, so. no.
1: No, but it's like, well, walnuts are like that too. People don't. And that's where the taste of the walnut is, is in the skin. Yeah, And there's tannins in there. And that's what protects the walnuts from going rancid. Well, so it's always better to buy walnuts well, in the shelf first, but with their skins on them because they'll last longer. Tannins, they have all these um, antioxidants and right. stuff in it that preserves them. Right.
0: Well, chocolate's very high in antioxidants, yes. but that's like the cocoa bean part is the high in antioxidants. And was like, it's good for you. I'm like, well, the 40% of the other ingredients in it aren't at the top of the nutritionist list of good things to eat. There's nothing wrong with sugar or cocoa butter to me, but chocolate is not necessarily... We
1: can't really say it's a health food, I guess, but
0: I it's, mean... They keep trying to.
1: <laughs> but yeah. I, I never think about food in that way. I think about it. If it's something I like to eat, then I eat it. I don't care one way or the other, actually.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I don't think about stuff either like that. I'm just like, yeah, I'll just eat it, eat less. But probably the most iconic French bitter thing that is really hard for people to drink, especially non-French people, French people are used to it. And once again, people think French people have this palate for sweet things and they like, you know, pastries, but they love sous, Mm -hmm. which is a gentian-based liquor. And I've learned after writing my book on drinks, drinking French, that it's impossible to describe it and make it sound appetizing. What would you describe ginseng?
1: Well, it's the bitterest plant in the world.
0: Ah, okay. More the, than bitter, good. The, the ones that the Chinese Yeah, a bit
1: of good. No, yes, bit of mal- The root. You don't eat the root. I mean, when was the last time you saw a jensen root for sale? One drop, one gram of jensen root, the root. In I think it's fifty-eight thousand liters. One gram will make that. 58,000 liters of water will make that water bitter.
0: 58,000 liters. It's
1: about like 15,000 gallons or something. Wow. It's extremely bitter. And it's the plant that they use to rate other bitter plants against because it's the most bitterest thing. And it's in lots of things. It gems in, in bitters. It, it's in um, Chartreuse that we both love.
0: Maybe. Yes. They won't well, tell you.
1: No, but I'm sure <laughs> they is. It's been with all the herbs and everything yeah. else. Yes, they won't tell But
0: just a little because it's it's very present. And Suze is the most popular yes. one, most well-known, but there's also Salers, yep. Salaire, which doesn't have coloring in it. This one is made by a friend of mine. It's, it's called a, from Distillery Gros Malt. It's not available outside of France. He made 2,000 bottles. He says this is the original Suze recipe.
1: And it's in the, the Jensen is in absinthe too.
0: Maybe. Yeah. I'm pouring a little bit for us to taste. But actually, a reader wrote to me, it's funny. She goes, I bought a bottle of Susan in America, and it was this like lurid green color. And she's like, nobody in France would drink anything that green. Oh. She goes, it must have been for the American market. I was like, nope, that's Suze. But this is naturally colored.
1: That's why it's so pale, right? Yeah. I like the smell. I like yeah. the way it smells.
0: It's great in the summer. As you mentioned, it makes you want more when you drink a little. Like bitter makes you want more of it.
1: Well, bitter is an uh, appetite stimulant. So so they say. Yes, yeah, so they say. Yeah. And it's meant to be a digestive aid as well. Because you know how French like to have something after the meal. And mm-hmm. usually that's bitter too, right? Mm. 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 Isn't that good? It's, it's delicious. It's rough going, but... No, but it's not like fire water or anything like that. Yep. It, it's got this really nice weight to it, too. Yeah.
0: Although now we can't drink anything else.
1: <laughs> no, it kind of, it, it stays a long time in your mouth, doesn't it?
0: Well, we probably should have ended with that for the drink. Yeah. But... Another thing, this is an amer. A lot of people are familiar with a piquon amer. Yes. Which is a famous aperitif, which isn't that bitter anymore. But this is one that's made in the French Alps. It's made by Bigalé, Félix Bigalé. It's got cooked bitter oranges in it and so forth. And I don't know if you want to taste it, um, but it's something you would drink after dinner.
1: Mm, it smells really,
0: I have really nice. glasses if you want. Another liquor I have here that's quite interesting is made from bitter almonds. And you had mentioned you put in your list bitter almonds. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't know much about bitter almonds except... They might not even know that that's what's usually in almond extract when you buy it at the supermarket, even in America.
1: And it's in marzipan too, no? The good marzipan. The good, yeah, really yeah. serious marzipan, which isn't very French, much more a German thing, marzipan, I think. But bitter almonds are interesting because that's always like, you know, if you're watching Agatha Christie, right, it's the smell of bitter almonds because it's cyanide. Yeah. But you have to eat a lot of them to kill you. Mm-hmm. So by that stage, you would Probably like not be eating more because they're so bitter, and then once they get heated up and cooked, then that removes the toxicity from them. So you can use them to cook with, right?
0: Well, for a while in Trader Joe's, they were selling mm. bitter almond kernels to snack on. Oh wow! And I don't think they lasted very long. Mm. But somebody said that there's a bitter almond paste. It's actually made from apricot kernels. But this is a liquor made from noyau, which is ap- oh, which is smell my-
1: kernels smell of almonds and...
0: Yeah, it's made, it's from this company that started making liquor in the 17th century. They're not far from Paris. And it's a liquor made from apricot kernels. It's called uh, liqueur de noyau or noyau poisson.
1: It's like a recipe that I make for the apricot kernel ice cream. Uh, and that's what that smell reminds me of. I'm always saving apricot kernels so I can make the ice cream.
0: This is really good in cocktails. There's a cocktail, I think the name is the bijou.
1: It's sweeter, isn't it? Yeah. It's a lot sweeter than
0: Well, the French-like cremes and liqueurs are usually quite sweet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Though I I don't see as many of them as I used to see. I see see them in desserts. You know, you always get a Grand Lanier souffle or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I don't see them. No one I know really drinks them anymore. Like, oh, maybe I just know all the bitter people.
0: Well, I think people have moved away from those old-fashioned cremes, like creme de framboise, Mm -hmm. you know, raspberry cream liqueur. Like, what do you do with it?
1: Well, you put the splash of cassis in your in your champagne. Yeah,
0: cassis, know. but the but, other ones, are...
1: and that's not really as sweet as the other ones, right? I don't think. Maybe, maybe
0: actually, it's sweeter. Is it? They're allowed to put more sugar in oh, crème de cassis than other crèmes by law. Huh? It's got, I think, uh, it's got like three cups of sugar for four cups of.
1: Oh, well, okay.
0: So it's quite sweet, with you but... know, his black currants are quite bitter. So we kind of are going through a meal or doing the aperitifs first. We're drinking these liquors, but the salad, course, can be quite bitter in Paris, too.
1: Yes, I think that's one thing that the French are quite appreciative is bitter salad greens, right? From Frise, which is not super busy, but, you mm. know, Frise is classic with the bacon and egg dressings. So yes. The bitterness of the Frise makes a wonderful balance to the richness of the lardons and the fattiness of the egg. Right? Yeah,
0: it's just... And the mustard and the dry- yeah. It's like the perfect balance. It's like the yeah.
1: perfect, perfect salad. And then now you see all these mixes, right? Like you can get the baby arugula. Arugula is quite peppery and mm-hmm. maybe not bitter, but it's pungent, right? And you've got some Belgian endive here, which is bitter as well, right?
0: Well, I was surprised when I moved to France many years ago to see Belgian endive so cheap and so plentiful. Uh, and I started telling people it's kind of the iceberg lettuce of France. Because you could buy, like, a it was like a euro a pound about, you know, which is a couple spears. And I go back to America and, like, each spear is like... Oh, uh, yeah. Okay.
1: Yes. And it's not usually that nice. I don't know how it is. But in Canada, they don't cover it up. So it gets uh, green.
0: Oh, yeah. And
1: it's really expensive, right? So, and, you know, cooked... Like, it's bitter, so you can put it in a salad that's good, or you can braise it in lots of butter.
0: Yeah, or you can wrap their endive gratin. Yeah,
1: and you cheese, wrap it in the ham and, and then you put a the cheese sauce on, and then yeah. the bitterness of the endive balances the richness of the Mornay sauce, so right?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And I don't know if you were here. At the, I think you were. There was a time when people were talking about when kale became popular in America, and then a woman, uh, Christian Bedard, Bedard saying, why well, I'm trying to pronounce her name differently, she decided she was going to make Kale available in France. That was her mission. And she was a very nice woman. And the article was on the front page of the New York Times. Some people were upset. They were like, who is this woman saying she's going to like save France? She's like, I didn't say I was going to do that. I just wanted to get Kale to people. And then Kale started coming and becoming available. And French people were like, well, what do we do with it? Uh. And I didn't know what to ask. <laughs> Well, you can make a salad, you know, they don't really eat salads like that.
1: No, the texture's wrong. with I'm not a kale fan at all. Literally. I could live the rest of my life and never see another piece of kale and kale chips and kale. It's just...
0: I didn't get any. Good. So, yeah.
1: And I don't... Well, I guess it's bitter. Like the chicories, the dandelion, the dandelion greens. It's I enough.
0: love dandelions.
1: And that's what the French do. They do that with the egg too or a hot bacon dressing dandelion greens are really good.
0: Well, I do like the kale Caesar salad when you massage it because it holds up well to the dressing.
1: Oh, uh, okay. Well, I'll be, yeah, because it's like strong like a cos or main lettuce, right? Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. And there's a restaurant in New York called Barbuto and they make this kale salad. And it was like, the kale salad's really good. And I went there and I had one. And I looked at it. I was like, and it's another kale salad, but you eat it. Whenever they do to it, like, you know, some unicorn comes and lifts its leg over the salad. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) the salad. You can't believe it. So another vegetable that you mentioned that was bitter, some of the others were Brussels sprouts, which aren't in season right now, but turnips.
1: Yes. Now it's interesting. I think, I think everyone has a different, Bitter thing in their mouth, and some people don't find turnips bitter at all. But I find that there's kind of a nice bitterness to turnips. I actually mm-hmm. like that bitterness to them. Like it's not very strong. So when you cook them in butter, it's
0: just a perfect
1: complement, right?
0: Well, and getting back to Cal for a moment, a lot of people say, "Well, people don't need cow in France because it reminds them of a war." No, well,
1: there's not too many of those people left.
0: Well, that's why I was like, "Well, the war ended <laughs> like '40s, so everyone is like 87 years old now. There's not many other people." But there are turnips everywhere. Yeah. Turnips are also wartime food. They're grown in the ground. You know, they're root vegetables. They're not hard to grow. But they can be quite bitter. I've had some that were like rather very bitter.
1: Mm,
0: mm. I've had carrots here that were bitter. Then you cook them and they're fine. Yeah.
1: They also have those small white ones in the bunches that are really nice, the turnips too, right? And it's those other Yeah, those are great. Yeah, they're really nice. But so there's other vegetables like parsnips. And I know you're a big rutabaga fan, Mm. um, which... I remember when we first came here, you could not get it all. No. And now they're everywhere. Like it's just things. Mm. Mm, well, we know where to get the giant rutabagas. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think I bought them at the market once. I made them for friends. They were like, what is this? It's like rutabaga. It's the same word in French. Yes. And they couldn't. They couldn't. They were like, what is it? And I think they were also saying it's, it wasn't a flavorful thing. I was like, well,
1: no, I think it's yellow yeah. flavor. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And actually the first time I had rutabaga I really got it, I was on an airplane and it was on, yeah, <laughs> it was on like the food. the an
1: European special with rutabaga. It was delicious. <laughs>
0: but one vegetable I don't love and everyone's going to turn off the podcast now is white asparagus because I find it very bitter.
1: Yes, that's interesting. And I think that's what's kind of nice about them. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. What I find bitter or very bitter is probably what you find extremely bitter or. Slightly bitter. Everyone has their own their own little flavour palette, so it's hard to compare. But when I'm back in Canada, I have to eat the green ones because the white ones are very hard to find. <laughs> but the white ones are just so brilliant. You know, got that bitterness, and then you've got the you know like a blood orange butter sauce over the top, or a hollandaise, and you've got that bitterness balancing that. It's just perfect.
0: Maybe because I associate bitter with bad vegetables. Like oh, okay, those. Because I have green, well, you know, I grew up eating green asparagus. And even when we had white asparagus, like in America, it was very, wasn't bitter. And so here, sometimes you get it and it's bitter. I'm like, hmm.
1: Maybe it's a little bit older too, because to go to another country, I remember being in Germany in the spargo season. And they're just cutting it from the, straight from the soil and then you're cooking it. And then I think maybe it gets bitter as it ages a bit.
0: Isn't that one of the great words, aspargle? Spargle.
1: Spargle. Although, (laughs) suggestive asparagus signs everywhere we can go and have spargle, right? Oh,
0: (laughs) I didn't know about that. (laughs) So moving on to sort of sweeter things again for a moment. Honey, French honey. People often, Americans don't eat a lot of honey. If they do, it's in tea or something. But French love honey. Mm -hmm. They buy it by varietals, as you know. And these are two bitter honeys, which I love. Once again I love sweet things in a way but cuz it's how I earn my living. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like to I like ice cream I like chocolate I like vanilla and so forth. But I love bitter honey. Mm-hmm. And I've got two honeys here that are French. And can you tell us a little bit about them or
1: well, you've got a, a chestnut honey there right mm-hmm. which is I've got one that's like a is I don't know I can't remember what it is but it's cuz there's like honey is is sweet right but yeah. but there's always mm. like and edge on honey, right? There's always like mm. a back end that has that bitterness, like drinking the and What's the other one? Oh, oh that's... Uh,
0: that's hard to find. It's funny because in France, people don't mind talking about body or health issues. And sometimes when you go buy honey, they're like, oh, that's very good if you have constipation. And you're like, I didn't...
1: I just came in here because I like honey.
0: <laughs> Is it the look on my face? <laughs> <Get out>. <laughs> <laughs> But they're like, oh, this is a diuretic, or this is good if you're not feeling, if you're not happy. Uh, but I love these bitter honeys in France, the chestnut honey and the buckwheat honey, which has become much harder to find. I don't I'm not sure why.
1: Ah, huh, that's interesting.
0: But I don't know if you want to If you have your spoon, I can do that.
1: Yeah. yeah
0: okay. I'll drizzle some out to your spoon. Move it over then. There we go. So this chestnut honey, it's, it's sort of a light-colored honey. And the mm. first time I had chestnut honey, I was in California
1: mm, and delicious. I
0: almost couldn't eat it. Because it was too bitter? It was too bitter. I was like, ooh. And then someone said, put it over ice cream. It changed the whole thing.
1: And you know, the thing with bitterness is your palate can adjust to it, right? At the beginning, it, and then <clears> if you eat more of it and more of it, it doesn't seem as bitter anymore. It's like, you know, when you're a kid and you have a glass of beer and it's really bitter. <laughs> yeah. I'm not drink. I wouldn't know. Well, you know, but then you can drink it a bit more and drink it a bit more and your palate, you know, it's it's an adult taste. It takes time to adjust to bitterness. And the other good news for us is the older you get, the less taste buds you have. So you're less sensitive to bitter. So old people can eat more bitter things, which is probably good for them.
0: Well, my grandmother, I remember when she got older, she said, you know, I can't taste things anymore. I mean, things don't have as much flavor as they used to.
1: Yeah, your taste buds don't renew as quickly, so you have fewer of them.
0: Well, that's bad news. So eat a lot. Of, well,
1: but it's not going to change your cooking. I don't think it's not going to change how you cook. I mean,
0: well, I tend to cook. I like bold flavors. Like I love buckwheat honey. I, mm, you know, I've never
1: had that before. It's too delicious. Uh, you have it? No, uh, I don't know where I've been hiding under a rock. I guess.
0: Well, it is. I think you know, in Texas they have a lot of buckwheat. Okay. Um, so in America we do have buckwheat a culture in some ways, but in France. You know, Brittany is known for its buckwheat. Yep, it's related to rhubarb, but it is hard to get buckwheat honey now. So I buy it when I'm in Brittany. Oh, you know, honey lasts forever. Yeah, they yep. find in like say rose tombs, and it's still, you know.
1: <laughs> now I have to rewrite the book because I didn't mention honey in it at all. I feel like kind of.
0: Well, you can a do an update. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to later in the meal. Speaking of honey, honey actually goes really well with blue cheese. Do you consider blue cheese bitter? No. Okay,
1: but you might. I think people confuse bitterness and sour a lot. And sometimes there's kind of a acidy sourness to blue cheese mm-hmm. that they think is bitterness, but it's not.
0: Okay. Because it's a sour. Yeah. It, it's a sheep's milk, too, faded sheep milk.
1: Yeah. Because that has like sour, it's not the same as bitter.
0: So one of my favorite subjects is chocolate. And, oh, really? Yeah. I <laughs> and I was around, and so were you, when chocolate changed around the year 2000, I think, in North America when, maybe it was, yeah, it was around then, when bean to bar chocolate became a thing and also- Bean
1: bars and- Yeah,
0: French chocolate. Well, there was one at first. And yeah, then Valrhona and other French, they started becoming more well-known. And people started talking about percentages of chocolate. Mm -hmm. And I always think that's interesting because Americans are known for having a sweet palate, liking sweet things, having a sweet tooth.
1: Yeah.
0: And- Liking sweet chocolate, but Americans also love these high percentage chocolates.
1: Yeah, I guess there's that contrast from Hershey's too. (laughs) But yeah, it's true that they've become super popular, those kind of bars, like specialty chocolate makers. And I have a friend here, a French friend, and she won't eat anything that's less than 99%. She just snacks on it. Uh, I can't can't snack on it. I can cook with it. I find it's a bit too much to snack on. But I'm not a big chocolate lover, I have to admit. Oh,
0: well, I have two tablets here. I thought you would like it because it's bitter. Yeah. But I used to have people taste, when I did chocolate classes, I would have people taste bitter chocolate, like okay. unsweetened, and they would actively be mad at me. <laughs> I was like, I'm not trying to make anyone upset. I just want to you
1: To understand what chocolate to... tastes like, not with the sugar mm-hmm. and the other additives in there.
0: Exactly. Yes. I and mean, there's a way to eat it, like rubbing it out of the roof of your mouth when you eat unsweetened chocolate. But I had two tablets of chocolate here. These are just grocery store chocolates. I didn't get fancy ones. But one is 86% and one is 99%.
1: Well, just the fact that now in the supermarket, all the chocolate's got a percentage on it, that's kind of interesting, right? Before it was just a chocolate bar. Yeah. You knew what it was, right?
0: Which is the hard thing about writing recipes because people are like, well, can I, you know, they use like a 90% chocolate and 90% chocolate is very dry because there's no cocoa, there's less oh, cocoa butter. They okay. cocoa butter but and that... chocolate and sugar makes it moist. That was the beauty, the low-fat era and they were doing low-fat baked goods, they would put extra sugar in because sugar is moist. So.
1: And that's the problem with the whole low-fat thing. You have to compensate for the lack of fat with something like sugar, which yeah. is probably the fat is a lot better for you than the sugar is. It's yeah. good quality fat. I'm
0: yeah, it's good quality. Well, at the health food store, and they were explaining to someone like about fructose and it's better because it's natural. And I, I wanted to say, well, Actually, cane sugar is Is natural. Pretty natural. And bean sugars.
1: Yeah, it's like, it's funny how people think.
0: So this is the 86% chocolate. Since you're not a chocolate lover, I'm taking taking the big piece. (laughs) But like, I love
1: Mm.
0: going into a French pastry shop and getting a really dark chocolate tart, Mm -hmm. like really bitter chocolate.
1: And then dusting that maybe with cocoa afterwards so you ramp up Mm. bitterness a bit more. Mm. And you know what's really, what, I would probably do with this is if I was cooking some game or a pigeon or something, Uh, put a square in the sauce. mm -hmm. It's just brilliant because it thickens up the sauce and it adds that depth. It's Mm -hmm. really a good thing to do.
0: Yeah, well, I'll save this. We're not going to eat the whole bar, but Uh, it's not bad. No, not bad. It's not a great brand of chocolate. This is just supermarket brand chocolate, but I wanted to sort of get it just...
1: Yeah, it's not quite as smooth on the tongue, right?
0: Yeah, and this is a 99% chocolate. Okay, taking a deep breath. Yeah. Oh, it comes in this way.
1: <laughs> oh, look at that. How fancy. Double wrapped.
0: It's like quadruple wrapped. It's wrapped in like this gold sheaf thing.
1: That you can't open because...
0: And I can't <laughs> That's like, I don't even have a knife. Well, if Jennifer wasn't sitting in front of me, I would use my teeth.
1: And well, you could, I won't tell anyone. I'll just say, found a <laughs> knife.
0: <laughs> I'm using my unopened pen the back. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, Success. So this is 99% cocoa. This is bitter.
1: I think that's the limit, isn't it? They can't make it 100%? Well,
0: they could, but that's... In France, they wouldn't call it chocolate. They would call it pat de cacao or 100%. Uh,
1: okay, cacao. yeah. Mm.
0: And it's very, very thin. It's funny, the more cocoa... The,
1: the less chocolate tastes. It, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because it...
0: But to me, that's edible. I don't...
1: No, it's edible. I'm not saying it isn't, but it doesn't really taste like chocolate or the chocolate that you're familiar mm-hmm. with.
0: Well, years ago, when I was writing my chocolate book, I was talking to somebody who makes chocolate. I think it was in Italy, and he gave me this chocolate. And it tasted like this. It tasted almost creamy. I go, "There's no sugar." He goes, "Well, you don't necessarily need to add sugar to chocolate. It depends on the beans, the variety. Mm-hmm. Some are just sweet on their own." Yeah, I actually like that bar a lot. Um, you can say no.
1: No, I, I I wouldn't eat it.
0: Okay, the near the. Kitchen Arts and Letters in New York called you idios. Was it was the word i <laughs> idiot. Yeah, I'm being idiosyncratic but
1: about the chocolate. You know, I hate it. I hate to I hate to admit this. You know, I actually quite like milk chocolate. I know you're not allowed to say that. But it's like
0: <laughs> David is not a no, people. No, no, no I actually learned to like milk chocolate when I was writing my chocolate book because I had to taste it. I had to mm. taste a lot of it. And there were these high percentage milk chocolates that had more cocoa mass in them than the ten percent the Hershey's or Cadbury bars whatever's in Cadbury, I'm not sure.
1: I'm not sure there's even chocolate in there, yes.
0: But I was talking to a woman, Melissa Funkweller in New York, who's a baker, and she wrote this amazing baking book and she was milk shopping a lot of things and she said, well, you know, it reminds me of my childhood when I eat things with milk chocolate.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they taste like caramelized milk, which a lot of them are. They have caramelized milk yeah. in it.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's but you know I I would eat chocolate, you know, two or three times a year. When I if I went to a pastry store, which I don't do very often, I can mm-hmm. walk right past them without even seeing what's there. Whereas my husband's like, Why don't we get it? <laughs> So I wouldn't buy a chocolate thing. I would buy Oh, but I buy I might buy a fruit based something fruit based.
0: Well, we had a chocolate eclair last night from Tapisserie the a bakery for Septime Restaurant. Oh, okay. And it was really good. Because mm-hmm. they like, they have a the purity of flavor in their pastries. You yeah, know, it's a small place. They have a little table. They all like the baker's work next to the counter. It's very intimate. It was so good.
1: I would pick maybe also a milfe because I like the caramelized pastry. Mm-hmm.
0: You like that with fancy. Well, you don't live here all full time.
1: No, that's true. But yeah. how often would I have one, you know? Four times when I'm here for two months. So it's not. But that's the less... last...
0: <laughs> I don't even remember the last time I had a mille Yeah. But I like them.
1: Yeah. It's hard to get a good one out. Well,
0: you know, Jacques, Jacques Chanel. Yes. When he had those, you know, you'd go in there and you'd get like a mille and it was, you know, they'd make it to order. And
1: yeah. then... And then you'd, you'd sign over your mortgage and you'd walk out with it.
0: Yeah. And he was, he's, yeah. he's my friend of me because um, he, <laughs> he would like hit me on the head. He's like, David. But you were. No, but his pastries are really yeah, special, yeah. and he actually appreciates bitter as well. He's doing chocolate with capers in them now, oh, wow. which I don't appreciate, but I, uh-huh. um, I know other people do, so I don't want to yuck on anybody's yum. But it's very interesting he's doing that. And there's another pastry chef here that's doing hot chocolate with oysters in it.
1: Ooh, that's a combination.
0: Yeah, that's very <laughs> oh, that's <was> very idiosyncratic.
1: <laughs> yes, well, I mean, it's good. I mean it's good for people to push the boundaries. Maybe they're not always successful, but they try something different. And then, you know, otherwise you just sometimes get caught into the same mm. boring spiral and you always have the same things, you know, you need to just try something different. And that's why you need to try so If you're not a bitter lover, that's why you need to try something that's mildly bitter
0: mm-hmm. and work
1: your way up. You know, frise salad, you can work your way up. You can put some of the honey on an ice cream or on a nice piece of really well Toasted bread, none of this kind of warmed up stuff. Bread that's got like little bird bits around the edges. Put the honey on oh,
0: it. Oh, you like the hard bread? Yeah. Okay, because Apollonia Parlen says you could only you should only toast bread on one side so that it doesn't get hard.
1: Yeah. I like toast. I like my toast to be crunchy.
0: Do you like it hot?
1: Um yeah, I don't like it like in England where it's been sitting in a little toast thing for about three hours before you get it and it's kind of then you pick it up and it's kind of wobble. <laughs>
0: Because Roman will eat like, to- he'll like make toast and let it sit and then it's cold. Oh, no. And I'm like, no, it's no. got to be hot out of the toaster. The butter's got to be melt.
1: melting. Yeah. And then you put the jam on and probably, which I've come to love more, is like a salted butter on there because it accentuates the jam taste, right? You know, salt's like bitter. It accentuates the flavor. So
0: we only eat salted butter in the morning now. And I love salt, but I love chocolate and I love bitter things. I mean, one thing interesting in France, and I, I didn't really think about it until I asked you to be on the podcast, and thank you for coming, was that France has a pretty rich, bitter culture. It's just people don't talk about it that much.
1: No, it's, I guess, when people think you're bitter, they think of the Italians. Yeah. Because the Amaro. You know, and the bitter cocktails, and then they have a lot of, like, Ridicchio. Ridicchio is pretty popular here, but have a lot of those bitter tastes, but. Yeah, I think, and I think it's come to the French, like you say, through these alcohols and stuff. So they've had that taste in the back of the head and then it's gone.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I think also the French, I I brought a couple of other aperitifs here. I've got a Bonal, I've got Dolan bitters. I think French people have kind of lost their taste for bitter, um, like a shot, like something bitter after a meal, but they drink beer. Beer is now very popular and especially in Paris. Oh, okay. All the kids drink beer now, and it's bitter. To me, I like beer okay, but it doesn't satisfy me, unless I'm at the beach in Mexico or Thailand. (laughs) I
1: I like a beer if it's very, very hot. Yes. It's kind of, the bitterness makes it those quenching, but it's also very gassy, you know, so it's like, (laughs) you know. But it's interesting. hops are an interesting flavor. That's what's preserving the beer because they're, you know, antibacterial. And I've yet to try them. But you can get them in Belgium. Hop shoots, at the beginning of the season, they look like white asparagus. They're very, before they come out of the ground. Okay. And they're the most expensive vegetable. A thousand, well, when I wrote the book, which was a long time ago, a thousand euros a kilo for hop shoots. And there's a couple of restaurants in Southern Belgium that specialize in hop shoots. Okay. But you might not like them because you don't like white asparagus. So maybe you but <laughs> your money for a chocolate tart.
0: <laughs> I'm going to Jacques Chenan and getting the Milfoy this week. That is...
1: Okay. I'll meet you there. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming, Jennifer, and being on the podcast. It was—it's always a pleasure to see you when you're in Paris, and you get—you came over to. We're my. This is the first interview in my new apartment.
1: Oh, I feel very honored. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me, David. And it's so nice sitting here with the greenery out the window, and I'm going to have some more of the uh, gencs. I love (laughs) this.
0: And there's there's no workers um, nailing things around, clanging around. Right now we're having this strike and the like people who deliver gasoline to ah, gas I did, I bet it right now. That. And we've been waiting for three months for a part for one of our toilets, uh, like the floater and the tank. And he just said, well, now he goes, there's a strike and they can't deliver, they can't like, they're stopped making the floaters. I'm like, we ordered it three months ago. <laughs> like, <you> know, like <laughs>
1: Well, that's always the French excuse. I think sometimes.
0: It's a strike. Yeah.
1: You know, it is a strike. We can't do it. And. I I don't understand because French people love to complain Mm -hmm. and they complain, they complain, but they don't do anything most of the time. They don't really actually go after the people like you probably would in North America. You'd be after them, right?
0: Well, people often sympathize with the strikers because they're workers and they are fighting for their right and they're also against the government. So that's a good thing. They're against the authorities They're against the big companies that own the, the gas stations. And there's definitely some merit to that as well. Just you no know, marriage to standing up for certain things. However, I would like my floater for my toilet because there's a drought right now and it's wasting a lot of water. Oh, uh, that's true. That's so exactly I, true. I said that today. I said you're ruining the planet
1: because <laughs> I don't have my floater.
0: <laughs> but he's not driving here, so I guess I guess it equals out. Lastly, what is your favorite French word? Oh my! I'm going to start asking people this at the end of the podcast.
1: Oh, that's really. I have no idea. Hey. Okay. I can't even think of.
0: Okay, next time I'll prep you. Spargo is your favorite German word. Uh, Spargel, okay. (laughs) Well, my French word used to be pamplemousse.
1: Pamplemousse is good.
0: Which is grapefruit. And then I was—I had a friend visiting Rye from Supermoon Bakehouse in New York, and he speaks French. But there was a dragonfly, and we—it's a libellule.
1: Oh, is that what is cool? Because I saw a lot of dragonfly. I, I didn't know what the word was in French for a dragon's log.
0: So that's a great word too. It's yeah. harder to pronounce because yeah. we don't have those words, but pompebouces.
1: And it's bitter too, what it used
0: to be. Yeah. Well, you wrote about that in your book. Jennifer's book, by the way, is one of your five books is bitter. You wrote fat, you wrote a book on bones, you wrote a book on blood, you wrote a book on odd bits, also on occult, but bitter is the one that we're talking about today. And I urge you to, again, that there's actually great recipes in here. There's a lot of dangerous flavors, as you mentioned, but the recipes are doable. There's a sous, and blood orange sorbet. There's a grapefruit tart. You talk about almonds. You talk about cardoons, different kinds of greens,
1: caramel, black currants. And my tobacco panna cotta. That got ah, a, tobacco. A lot, of, a lot of flack. Oh, why? Well, I just people said I shouldn't be cooking with tobacco.
0: Oh, Okay. Well, it's funny because last night we were talking about marijuana, how it's not legal here in France.
1: Oh, is it not? yeah
0: no, and in America, it was legalized, I think faster, and this is totally off topic <laughs> yeah. I think because it was a medical it was used for medical purposes, yeah. and then it was easier to slide into. but France, as you know, they categorize everything they don't know how they wouldn't know how to sell it because it's a recreational drug. If it's a drug, it has to go through the pharmacies. If it's oh. recreational, where do you sell it? Yeah. Not at Monoprix. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, Roman was like, well, it's dangerous. There's some health hazards. They're so like, well, everyone's smoking cigarettes, so.
1: Well, there's, there's health risks to everything that you eat. You eat too much of anything, it's going to kill you, right? Too much alcohol, too much butter.
0: Too many turnips. Too many turnips. Too much Belgian art. <laughs> <odd. laughs> too many barley hops. You're going to die or you're going to go broke. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. And people, you're welcome to visit Jennifer. She's on Instagram at Jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-M-C-L-A-G-A-N. And I'm going to put your Instagram and your website on my newsletter page. Okay. And I'm at DavidLeibovitz.substack.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please feel free to leave a review or you can tell your friends or just subscribe to it and listen, tune in again. Thank you so much for coming all the way to the other side of Paris, Jennifer.
1: Thank you, David. Okay, (laughs) bye-bye.